Audio number 78, another sermon by George Whitfield. By far the greatest evangelist in American history. A Christmas message entitled, The Observation of the Birth of Christ, The Duty of All Christians, or The True Way of Keeping Christmas. O Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk 3.2 As Christians, this Christmas season, we must be, as Jesus exhorts us, to keep our eye single. For when our eye is single upon the Lord Jesus Christ, our body will be full of light. But if our eye be evil, our whole body will be full of darkness. Horizontally or nationally, America celebrates Christmas in a much different way than we as Christians celebrate Christmas. We as natural man Americans love the Christmas season. We love the effects of Christ. And it is a good thing that Christmas is a national holiday with families getting together and sharing with one another. All of this is good for America. But we, vertically speaking, as true Christians, are warned by former Mr. Morality in Colossians 3.23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. In our families, where we are in charge, and though we may have unbelievers with us, we must have a time period there in which we speak about the Lord and what it means for Christ to condescend himself, to voluntarily be sent to earth by his Father, to lose none of those that were given to him by his Father before the foundation of the world. And his Father giving him power to give eternal life only to those that were given to him by his Father before the foundation of the world. And that he does not pray for the world, but only prays for those that were given to him before the foundation of the world. John chapter 6, verse 37 all that the Father giveth me, that is Jesus, shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Verse 38. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Verse 39. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life and I will raise it up at the last day. 
All the Jews saw Jesus in the flesh. That is, they could see the Son of Man, but they couldn't see the Son of God. Verse 40 again. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him. You have to see the Son before you can believe on him. Jesus says, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And who was the embodiment of the kingdom of God? But Jesus himself. So Jesus is saying, except you be born again, you cannot see me. You cannot see the Son of God. You can see the Son of Man, but you cannot see the Son of God. Before we begin the message, let us listen to a prayer by George Whitfield of how we Americans should pray in order that we might be born again or made a new creation. A prayer for one desiring to be awakened to an experience of the new birth. Blessed Jesus, thou hast told us in thy gospel that unless a man be born again of the spirit and his righteousness exceeds the outward righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, he cannot in any wise enter into the kingdom of God. Grant me, therefore, I beseech thee, this true circumcision of the heart, and send down the blessed Spirit to work in me that inward holiness, which alone can make me meet to partake of the heavenly inheritance with the saints in light. Create in me, I beseech thee, a new heart and renew a right spirit within me. For of whom shall I seek for succor but of thee, O Lord, with whom alone this is possible? Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me whole. O oh, say unto my soul, as thou didst once unto the poor leper, I will be thou renewed. Have compassion on me, O Lord, as thou once hadst on blind Bartimaeus, who sat by the wayside begging, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest what I would have thee to do. Grant, Lord, that I may receive my sight, for I am conceived and born in sin. My whole head is sick. My whole heart is faint. From the crown of my head to the sole of my feet, I am full of wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, and yet I see it not. Oh, awaken me, though it be with thunder to a sensible feeling of the corruptions of my fallen nature. And for thy mercy's sake, for me no longer to sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Oh, prick me, prick me to the heart. Dart down a ray of that all quickening light which struck thy servant Saul to the ground and make me cry out with the trembling jailer, what shall I do? 
to be saved. Lord, behold, I pray and blush and am confounded that I never prayed on this wise before. But I have looked upon myself as rich, not considering that I was poor and blind and naked. I have trusted to my own righteousness. I flattered myself I was whole and therefore blindly thought I had no need of thee. O great physician of the souls, to heal my sickness. But being now conceived by thy free mercy, that my own righteousness is as filthy rags, and that he is only a true Christian who is one inwardly. Behold, strong cryings and tears and groanings that cannot be uttered. I beseech thee, visit me with thy free spirit and say unto these dry bones, live. I confess, O Lord, that thy grace is thine own and that thy spirit bloweth where he listeth. And wast thou to deal with me after my deserts and reward me according to my wickedness? I had long since been given over to a reprobate mind and had my conscience seared as with a red hot iron. But, O Lord, since by sparing me for so long, thou hast shown that thou wouldest not the death of a sinner. And since thou hast promised that thou wilt give the Holy Spirit to those that ask it, I hope thy goodness and long suffering is intended to lead me to repentance, and that thou wilt not turn away thy face from me. Thou seest, O Lord, thou seest that with utmost earnestness and humility of soul, I ask thy Holy Spirit of thee, and am resolved in confidence of thy promise. Who canst not lie to seek and knock till I find a door of mercy open unto me? Lord, save me, or I perish. Visit, oh, visit me with thy salvation. Lighten mine eyes that I sleep not in death. Oh, let me no longer continue a stranger to myself. But quicken me, quicken me with thy free spirit that I may know myself even as I am known. Behold, here I am. Let me do or suffer what seemeth good in thy sight. Only renew me by thy spirit in my mind and make me a partaker of thy divine nature. So shall I praise thee all the days of my life and give thee thanks forever in the glories of thy kingdom. O most adorable Redeemer, to whom with the Father and the Holy Ghost be ascribed all honor and praise both now and forevermore. Amen. 
Let us now look at a similar prayer in John Bunyan's famous book entitled Pilgrim's Progress. Some say the second most read Christian book in the world. And some say it has never been out of print since 1678. Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory on salvation. We will now pick up the story with Hopeful describing how he got saved to Christian. Hopeful is explaining to Christian what his friend Faithful told him to pray in order to get saved. Christian, and what said Faithful to you then? Hopeful, he bade me to go to him and see. Then I said, it was presumption. But he said, no, for I was invited to come. Then he gave me a book of Jesus indicting to encourage me the more freely to come. And he said concerning that book that every jot and tittle thereof stood firmer than heaven and earth. Then I asked him, what must do I when I came? And he told me, I must entreat upon my knees with all my heart and soul, the Father to reveal Jesus to me. Then I asked him further, how I must make my supplication to him. And he said, go, and thou shalt find him upon a mercy seat where he sits all the year long to give pardon and forgiveness to them that come. I told him that I knew not what to say when I came. And he bid me to say to this effect, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and make me to know and believe in Jesus Christ. For I see that if his righteousness had not been, or I have not faith in that righteousness, I am utterly cast away. Lord, I have heard that thou art a merciful God and hast ordained that thy son, Jesus Christ, should be the savior of the world. And moreover, that thou art willing to bestow him upon such a poor sinner as I am. And I am a sinner indeed. Lord, take therefore this opportunity and magnify thy grace and thy salvation of my soul through thy son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Christian. And did you do as you were bidden? Hopeful. Yes, over and over and over. Christian, had you no thoughts of leaving off praying? Hopeful. Yes, and a hundred times twice told. Christian, and what was the reason that you did not? Hopeful. I believe that it was true which had been told me to wit, that without the righteousness of this Christ, all the world could not save me. Let us now commence with another sermon by George Whitfield entitled The Observation of the Birth of Christ The Duty of All Christians or The True Way of Keeping Christmas Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 And she Mary shall bring forth a son and then shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. The celebration of the birth of Christ hath been esteemed a duty by most who profess Christianity. When we consider the condescension and love of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
in submitting to be born of a virgin, a poor, sinful creature that is Mary. And especially as he knew how he was to be treated in this world, that he was to be despised, scoffed at, and at last to die a painful, shameful, and ignominious death, that he should be treated as though he was the off-scouring of all mankind, used not like the Son of Man, and therefore not at all like the Son of God. The consideration of these things should make us to admire the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was so willing to offer himself as a ransom for the sins of the people, that when the fullness of time was come, Christ came made of a woman, made under the law, that is the covenant of works, which demanded perfection. He came according to the eternal counsel of the Father. He came not in glory or in splendor, not like him who brought all salvation with him. No, he was born in a stable and laid in a manger. Oxen were his companions. Oh, amazing condescension of the Lord Jesus Christ to stoop to such low and poor things for our sake. What love is this? What great and wonderful love was here that the Son of God should come into our world in so mean a condition to deliver us from the sin and misery in which we were involved by our fall in our first parents. And as all that proceeded from the springs must be muddy because the fountain was so, the Lord Jesus Christ came to take our natures upon him. That is our original sin. To die a shameful, a painful, and an accursed death for our sakes. He was legally cursed to hell by his father because he who knew no sin was made the elect's original sin by his father. He died for our sins and to bring us to God. He cleansed us by his blood from the guilt of sin. He satisfied for our imperfections. And now, my brethren, we have access unto him with boldness. He is a mediator between us 
and his offended father. Therefore, if we do but consider into what state and at how great a distance from God we are fallen, how vile our natures were, what a depravity, and how incapable to restore that image of God to our souls, which we lost in our first parents. When I consider these things, my brethren, and that the Lord Jesus Christ came to restore us to that favor with God which we had lost. And that Christ not only came down with an intent to do it, but actually accomplished all that was in his heart towards us. That he raised and brought us into favor with God in order that we might find kindness and mercy in his sight. Surely this calls for some return of thanks on our part to our dear Redeemer for this love and kindness to our souls. How just would it have been of him to have left us in that deplorable state wherein we, by our guilt, had involved ourselves. For God could not, nor can receive any additional good by our salvation. But it was love, mere love. It was free love that brought the Lord Jesus Christ to our world about 1,700 years ago. What? Shall we not remember the birth of our Savior? Shall we yearly celebrate the birth of our temporal king? And shall that of the king of kings be forgotten? Shall that only which ought to be had chiefly in remembrance be quite forgotten? God forbid! No, my dear brethren, let us celebrate and keep this festival of our church with joy in our hearts. Let the birth of a Redeemer, which redeemed us from sin, from wrath, from death, from hell, be always remembered. May the Savior's love never be forgotten, but may we sing forth all his love and glory as long as life shall last here and through an endless eternity in the world above, may we chant forth the wonders of redeeming love and the riches of free grace amidst angels and archangels, cherubim and seraphim without intermission forever and ever. And as my brethren, the time for keeping this festival is approaching. Let us consider our duty in the true observation thereof, 
of the right way for the glory of God and the good of immortal souls to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, an event which ought to be had in eternal remembrance. It is my design to lay down rules for the true keeping of that time of Christmas, which is now approaching. Number one, I shall show you when you may be said not to observe this festival aright. Number two, I shall show you when your observation and celebrating of this festival is done according to the glory of God and to the true manner of keeping of it. Number three, shall conclude with an exhortation to all of you, high and low, rich and poor, one with another, to have a regard to your behavior at all times, but more especially, my dear brethren, on this solemn occasion. Number one, my brethren, I am to show you when your celebration of this festival is not of the right kind. And first, you do not celebrate this aright when you spend most of your time in cards, dice, or gaming of any sort. This is a season for which there is no more allowance for wasting of your precious time in those unlawful entertainments than any other. Persons are apt to flatter themselves that they are free and at liberty to spend whole evenings now at cards, at dice, or any diversion whatsoever, to pass away, as they call it, a tedious evening. They can do anything now to pass away that which is hastening as fast as thought. Time is always upon the wing. It is no sooner present, but it is past. And no sooner come, but it is gone. And have we so much to do and so little time to do it in, and yet complain of time lying heavy upon our hands? Have we not the devil and the beast to get out of our souls? Are not our natures, that is our sin nature, to be changed, our corruptions to be subdued, our wills to be brought over to God, our hard hearts to be softened, all old things to be done away, and all things to become new in our souls. Is there not all of this to be done? And yet we have too much time upon our hands. It is well that instead of having too much time, it be not found that we have got too little when we come to die. Then we shall wish, my brethren, that we had made more account of our time, that we had improved it for the glory of God and for the welfare of our souls. Good God, how amazing is the consideration that many can go to church in the morning and take the sacrament 
and come home and spend the afternoon and evening in cards. Is this, my brethren, discerning the Lord's body? Is this taking the sacrament according to its institution? Is not this a pollution thereof and making the blood of the covenant an unholy thing? Therefore, those of you who have made this your practice in times past, let me beseech you in the bowels of mercy not to do so anymore. For indeed, it is earthly, it is sensual, it is devilish. Consider what is said of those who eat and drink at the Lord's table unworthily, that they eat and drink their own damnation. And can they, my brethren, be said to eat and drink any otherwise who no sooner go from the table of the Lord but run to the diversions of the devil? Indeed, this is exceeding sinful and displeasing unto the Lord. Then forbear those diversions which are so evil in themselves. Oh, be not found in those exercises and in that pleasure which you would not be found in when you come to die. Thus, my brethren, you see it is not a right celebration of the birth of the Lord Jesus. To spend it in cards, dice, or any other diversions which proceed so directly from the devil and are destructive to all true goodness. Secondly, they cannot be said truly to celebrate this time who spend their time in eating and drinking to excess. This is a season when persons are apt to indulge themselves in all manner of luxury. Iniquity now abounds apace. Nothing is scarcely to be seen but things of the greatest extravagance imaginable, not only for the necessities of the body, but to pamper it in lust, to feed its vices, to make it go on in sin, to be a means for gratifying our carnal appetite. And this is a means to make us forget the Lord of glory. This makes us only fit to do such drudgery as the devil shall set us about. This is only preparing to run wheresoever the devil sends. This, instead of denying ourselves, is indulging ourselves. This is not, nor cannot be called a celebration of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we are making ourselves worse than the beasts that perish. I am not speaking against eating and drinking of the good things of life, 
but against the eating and drinking of them to excess. Because thus they unqualify us for the service of our God. And to our fellow creatures, they make us unsociable and may occasion us to be guilty of saying and acting those things which we should be ashamed to think of if we had only ate or drank with moderation. Therefore, my brethren, my dear brethren, let me beseech you to set a watch over yourselves. Be careful that you do not run into that company which may tempt you to evil. For would a man run himself into danger on purpose? Would a man enter himself into that company where before he goes, he knows he shall be exposed to great temptations? And therefore, if you have any reason to think that the company you are going into will be a temptation, I beseech you by the mercies of God in Christ Jesus that you would not run into it. How can you say, lead us not into temptation when you are resolved to lead yourself into it by running into the occasions of sins? You are commanded to keep from the appearance of evil. And do you do that by running into the place and company where it is like to be committed? No. This is so far from avoiding and shunning it that it is a plain proof to the contrary. Therefore, if you are for observing this time, this festival of our church. Let it not be done by running to excess. For you plainly see that those who are guilty thereof cannot be said properly to celebrate it. Thirdly, nor can they, my brethren, be said to keep or rightly observe the commemoration of the birth of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who neglect their worldly callings to follow pleasures and diversions. Alas, many, instead of keeping this time as it ought to be, run into sin with greediness instead of devoting their time to the Lord. It is only devoted to the devil and their own lusts. How many, who thus misspend their time at this season lay by the work of their callings for a considerable time with no other view but to follow earthly, sensual, and devilish pleasures. If they should go to hear a sermon or to a society, my brethren, the mouths of all the Pharisees at once are open against them that they are not only going to be ruined themselves, but are going to ruin their families too. 
They think it needless to make so much ado. This is being righteous over much, but you may be as wicked as you please, and they will not cry out. However, when you are wicked over much, by serving the devil and your own pleasures for a week or a month together, then, my brethren, with them you are only taking a little recreation, spending your time in innocent diversions. No one cries out against you. There is no outcry that you are going to be ruined. Again, if you give never so small a matter among the poor people of God for their relief, then you are robbing your families. Then you are going to turn madmen and a few days methodistically mad that you are not fit for a polite gentleman's conversation. But if you spend 100 times the money in playhouses, etc., on your lusts and pleasures, then you are liked and esteemed as a good friend and a companion. But, my dear brethren, these good companions in the world's account are never so in the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot serve God and mammon. You must either lose your lusts, your pleasures, and your delights, or you cannot expect to find favor with God. For indeed, and indeed, the ways that too many follow at this time are sinful. Yea, they are exceeding sinful. You say they cannot be said to celebrate this holy time, who thus misspend their precious time to the neglect of their families. Such are destroying themselves with a witness. Thus, my dear brethren, I have shown you who they are who do not observe this holy festival. Number two, I come now in the second place to show you who they are who do rightly observe and truly celebrate the birth of our Redeemer. And I shall show you who they are in two particulars directly opposite to the others. And then, my brethren, take your choice. You must choose the one or the other. There is no medium. You must either serve the Lord or Baal. And therefore, my dear brethren, let me beg of you to consider first that those spend their time aright and truly observe this festival who spend their hours in reading praying, and religious conversation. What can we do to employ our time to a more noble purpose than the reading of what our dear Redeemer has done and suffered? To read that the King of kings and the Lord of lords came from his throne and took upon him the form of the meanest of his servants. And what great things he underwent this, then, is an history worth reading. This is worth employing our time about. And surely, when we read of the sufferings of our Savior, it should excite us to prayer that we might have an interest 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. That the blood which he spilt upon Mount Calvary and his death and crucifixion might make an atonement for our sins. That we might be made holy. That we might be enabled to put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man, even the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may throw away the heavy yoke of sin and put on the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, my brethren, these things call for prayer and for earnest prayer too. And oh, do be earnest with God that you may have an interest in this Redeemer and that you may put on His righteousness so that you may not come before Him in your filthy rags nor be found not having on the wedding garment. Or do not, I beseech you, trust unto yourselves for your justification. You cannot, indeed, you cannot be justified by the works of the law. I entreat that your time may be thus spent. And if you are in company, let your time be spent in that conversation which profiteth. Let it not be about your dressing, your plays, your profits, or your worldly concerns. But let it be the wonders of redeeming love. Oh, tell Tell to each other what great things the Lord has done for your souls. Declare unto one another how you were delivered from the hands of your common enemy, Satan, and how the Lord has brought your feet from the clay and has set them upon the rock of ages. The Lord Jesus Christ, there, my brethren, is no slipping, other conversation, by often repeating, you become fully acquainted with. But of Christ, there is always something new to raise your thoughts. You can never want matter when the love of the Lord Jesus Christ is the subject. Then let Jesus be the subject, my brethren, of all your conversation. Let your time be spent on him. Oh, this this is an employ which, if you belong to Jesus, will last you to all eternity. Let others enjoy their cars, their dice, and gaming hours. Do you, my brethren, let your time be spent in reading, praying, and religious conversations, which will stand the trial best at the last day which you do think will bring most comfort, most peace in a dying hour. Oh, live and spend your time now as you will wish to have done when you come to die. Secondly, let the good things of life you enjoy be used with moderation. I am not, as the scoffers of this day tell you, against eating and drinking the good things of life? No, my brethren. I am only against their being used to an excess. Therefore, let me beseech you to avoid those great indiscretions, those sinful actions which will give the enemies of God room to blaspheme. 
let me beseech you to have a regard, a particular regard to your behavior at this time. For indeed, the eyes of all are upon you, and they would rejoice much to find any reason to complain of you. They can say things against us without a cause. And how would they rejoice if there was wherewith they might blame us? Then they would triumph and rejoice indeed in all your little slips, my dear brethren, are and would be charged upon me. Oh, at this time, when the eyes of so many are upon you, be upon your guard. And if you use the good things of this life with moderation, you do then celebrate this festival in a manner which the institution calls for. And instead of running into excess, let that money which you might expend to pamper your own bodies be given to feed the poor. Now, my brethren, is the season in which they commonly require relief and sure you cannot act more agreeable either to the season to the time or for the glory of god than in relieving his poor distressed servants therefore if any of you have poor friends or acquaintance who are in distress i beseech you to assist them and not only those of your acquaintance but the poor in general Oh, my dear brethren, that will turn to a better account another day than all you have expended to please the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, or the pride of life. Consider Christ was always willing to relieve the distress. It is his command also. And can you better commemorate the birth of your King, your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in obeying one of his commands. Do not, my dear brethren, be forgetful of the poor of the world. Consider if providence has smiled upon you and blessed you with abundance of the things of this life. God calls for some returns of gratitude from you. Be mindful of the poor. And when you are so, then you may be said to have a true regard for that time which is now approaching. If you would truly observe this festival, let it be done with moderation a regard to the poor of this world. Thirdly, let me beg of you not to alienate too much of your time from the worldly business of this life, but I have a proper regard thereunto, and then you may be said rightly to observe this festival. God allows none to be idle. In all ages, business was commended, and therefore do not think that season will excuse us in our callings. We are not, my brethren, to labor for the things of this life inordinately, but we are to labor for them with all moderation. We are not to neglect our callings. No, we are to regard those places and stations of life which God in his providence has thought convenient for us. And therefore, when you neglect your business of the hurt of your families, whatever pretense you thereby make for so doing, you are guilty of sin. 
You are not acting according to the doctrine of the gospel, but are breaking the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ, both according to his word and to his own practice. At this festival, persons are apt to take a little more liberty than usual. And if that time from our vocations is not prejudicial to ourselves or families and is spent in the service of God and the good of immortal souls, then I do not think it sinful. But there is too much reason to fear that the time spent upon our own lusts and that it is exceeding sinful. It is against our own souls and it is against the good of our families. And instead of commemorating the birth of our dear Redeemer, we are dishonoring him in the greatest degree possibly we can. Therefore, inquire strictly into your end and design in spending your time. See, my brethren, whether it proceeds from a true love of your Redeemer or whether there is not some worldly pleasure or advantage at the bottom. If there is, our end is not right. But if it proceed entirely from love to him that died and gave himself for us, our actions will be a proof thereof. Then our time will be spent not in the polite pleasures of life, but according to the doctrine and commands of the blessed Jesus. Then our conversation will be in heaven. And oh, that this might be found to be the end of each of you who now hear me. Then we should truly observe this festival and have a true regard to the occasion thereof, that of Christ's coming to redeem the souls of those which were lost. Let me now conclude, my dear brethren, with a few words of exhortation, beseeching you to think of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did Jesus come into the world to save us from death? And shall we spend no part of our time in conversing about our dear Jesus? Shall we pay no regard to the birth of him who came to redeem us from the worst of slavery, from that of sin and the devil? And shall this Jesus not only be born on our account, but likewise die in our stead, and yet shall we be unmindful of him? Shall we spend our time in those things which are offensive to him? Shall we not rather do all we can to promote his glory and act according to his command? Oh, my dear brethren, be found in the ways of God. Let us not disturb our dear Redeemer by any irregular proceedings. And let me beseech you to strive to love, fear, honor, and obey him more than ever you have done. Let not your devil engross your time. And that dear Savior that came into the world on your accounts have so little. Oh, be not so ungrateful to him who has been so kind to you. What could the Lord Jesus Christ have done for you more than he has. Then do not abuse his mercy, but let your time be spent in thinking and talking of the love of Jesus, who was incarnate for us, who was born of a woman and made under the law to redeem us from the wrath 
to come. Now to God the Father and God the Son. Amen, amen, and amen. Now to some of us natural men Americans, this sermon may seem to be far out and extreme. But to those of us Americans who have been made a new creation, we can testify that the new creation is not anemic like the fast food free will conversions that are offered in which they simply tweak the natural man. The new creation is brand new, new eyes, new ears, new will, new tender, repentant heart. The new creation eats, sleeps, and drinks Jesus without any effort, as easily as a baby feeds from his mother's breasts. The new creation literally experiences the love of Jesus Christ through the meditation upon the Word. And for a new creation to say that he literally does not experience the love of Jesus Christ when meditating upon the Word would be like him saying he does not feel the sun's heat when he walks out into the sun on a hot day. Jesus is not into the remodeling business. He does not take our fast food free will Jesus and tweak him. He's only into new construction. The new creation is brand new. Former Mr. Morality explains it this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. May the Lord bless you and your family this Christmas season and keep you. In the name of Jesus, amen.